You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. For some, I guess it's the long-awaited, anticipated debut of Kyrie Irving. For others, maybe a shrug. Maybe still waiting to see what kind of impact a player can have only playing about half of the games. One of those people might be one of the co-hosts of this show. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. The very curmudgeonly Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests going to join us on the Goodyear hotline, including a Nets reporter who's going to join us in just a few here. Talk about Kyrie's debut tonight as the Nets are in Indy to take on the Pacers. He's back. And Fitz, I heard your... uh, you know, your daily hit that you do here at ESPN Radio. Remind me what it's called. The ESPN Radio Sports Beat. That That's one? right. Yeah. The Sports Beat. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you don't think Kyrie's going to have much of an impact on a Nets team that's currently just a couple games back of the Bulls. I think that we've taken this so far because we just love to have gossip and stories in the NBA. And frankly, this makes nominal difference when it comes to the actual way that the season will play out. Not because Kyrie's not great. He's great, but because ask me then, like, at at some point, what do I actually believe about continuity? Because what I struggle to see is how a Nets team is essentially going to run one offense when they're at home and then a total different offense when they're on the road, but not in Toronto because he can't play there either. You know, what what offense? They're going to totally change the way they play for this handful of about 20 games that he's going to be eligible for, and it's not going to disrupt the continuity. It's all going to be just fine. Like, I just think it's going to be I don't think anyone thinks it's going to be fine. I think it is going to disrupt the continuity. I think the difference is... They're going to take what they can get. This is a team that has been running its superstars ragged in terms of minutes and already struggled to keep them out on the court, even in a season where they had all three of them and everybody should have been playing a, a, a reasonable amount. Steve Nash threw up his hands, Fitz, and he said, I don't want to play Kevin Durant every minute of every game, but I don't think I have a choice. And so Nick Friedel was on ESPN Daily today with Pablo Torre, and he actually talked about the reaction from the teammates who will be put in a tough position here, having to adjust to Kyrie in, Kyrie out. Uh, first, they had a funny exchange here that I wanted to play for you. I don't know if you heard it, Nick, but uh, the way they discussed this team that has a very loose idea of what formal practices are, when they practice, who has to practice, who's really running the show over there. And this was the exchange between Pablo Torre and Nick Friedel on ESPN Daily. The Nets, as a more veteran-based team, they don't have a lot of formal practices. I, I got their travel schedule the other day, and Pablo I was like, Damn. <laughs> I love that the Nets are this strange, like, student-led liberal arts small college. <laughs> we don't do formal practice. Yeah, we sit on the grass outside and we talk about basketball. Yeah. Which, by the way, those were the best days. Do you remember those when it was like an unseasonably warm day and your teacher would be like, all right, guys, let's have class out on the quad. Like, oh, that's yeah. apparently yeah. what the Nets do. Like, let's have some philosophical conversations about basketball. We'll play it later. Uh, but then they got into the question that you have, which is, so there's no hard feelings. None of these guys are like, hey, that's cool that he just got three months off and didn't have to go to work like the rest of us. And that's cool that he won't really have to practice as he does practice because they changed, you know, this, the, the, they, 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 they call it an office now instead of, you know, a stadium in order for him to be able to go to practice. But he won't have to do as much work as the rest of us because he's missing some of the games. According to Nick Friedel, they need him and want him as much as maybe the ownership does. You're telling me, Nick, that the Nets players, the Nets themselves, there aren't hard feelings towards Kyrie is what it sounds like. It doesn't feel like it at all. 
even if they might have disagreed internally, Pablo, and, and thought, ah, I, you know, I, I'd rather him get this shot because it makes our team better. It feels like they understood. And now that he's back in the fold, it's kind of like we will take whatever we can get. This season has been so bizarre on so many different levels. If the choice is no Kyrie at all or some Kyrie in this strange road-only form, it's a roll of the dice that the KD and company are saying, hey, we'll take our chances. It makes sense to me in only the sense that they've all gotten so tired of arguing and also tired of playing without him. And they're just kind of throwing up their hands. And also that I don't know which of them would feel comfortable publicly saying otherwise, Nick, because of what we know about how Kyrie and KD seem to run this team. Yeah, but I also think that there's some element in my mind of not even just how they feel about his decisions. I, for me, continuity matters on the court. And one of the most difficult parts about this, and, and this is true no matter what your profession is. I mean, if you and I haven't worked together for a few weeks and we do a radio show, sometimes it can be a little clunky. You got to get course, everything yeah. sort of worked out. Remember where things go. Like when I was touring in music, like the, the times that you'd say, well, this is this type of show. This is a full show. This is an acoustic show. This is less man. Like all of these things disrupt routine. And athletes, many of them are a creature of routine to me. Even if the guys are welcoming, just having another body that can take some of the load off, I just wonder how much when it's, okay, we're, we're moving the ball around. We're trying to have a flow as an offense. Like practice has to matter. Games have to matter. What you're asking the guys to do has to matter with some level of consistency or continuity. Otherwise, uh, it, it just it sort of smacks in the face of everything we always talk about on the other side of all of this. Well, that's, that's where I think it gets complicated. That's clearly worst case scenario, right, is to have to do this. But are you saying you actually think the team would have better results in the win-loss column if they didn't have him come back at all? Yeah, I think they'd have better results bringing somebody in that could actually play every game so they could get some continuity are you and talking get about their a guys trade? rested. Uh, or, or G League. I don't care if they bring somebody up from the G League. So you League think a random pl G League player being added to the mix it is better for this team than Kyrie, but not all the time? Yeah, if we're just trying to put a Band-Aid on it until we get to the playoffs, yeah, rest your guys. Yeah, we disagree on that then. Yeah, I guess we just I, – I think it's sad that they collapsed on, on under the weight of the pressure and that they're letting a guy come back in this fashion. I think it's unfortunate that the stand that they took didn't stand, but I do think in the end it's going to make them a better team to have a great player on the court. That That's it. We'll get to some more talk on Kyrie and sort of the weird situation – Again, they've got uh, they've got road games. They've got the fewest road games in the league through January, uh, but they have the most tied for most in February. Um, Kyrie uh, ineligible for one of those because he can't play the Raptors and he can't play the Knicks, even if they're technically the road team. Anyway, it gets complicated. We'll get into it as we all prepare for his return. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. The other big news of the day we were just hearing about as the show ended last night, and that was that there had been an exemption given to Novak Djokovic so that he would be able to play in the Australian Open. And of course, a flurry of people frustrated by that because the country has had some of the most strict vaccination rules in place. Uh, people have been quarantined forever. People have not been able to travel, to see family, to leave the country. And they allowed this quote-unquote medical exemption top-ranked player in the world where he might break a record, get them a lot of money and a lot of eyeballs. But over the course of the night, the story changed. And as of just before the show today, 
He has been denied entry. His visa canceled because he did not meet the requirements for an exemption according to the specifics of the federal government. And that's what the state government said. They would not be providing individual application support because visa approvals are the federal government. Medical medical exemptions are for doctors. They didn't think he proved enough to deserve an exemption. Tony Kornheiser uh, had something to say about it. We'll play that for you a little bit later because he went off a little bit. So did a lot of people. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial auto, and more all your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. Coming up, we'll talk to someone who covers the Nets. We're going to ask him what he's expecting to see from Kyrie tonight. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Let's head out to the Goodyear Hotline where New York Daily News Nets reporter Christian Winfield joins us. Christian, Kyrie going to make his, uh, I guess, highly anticipated, depending on who you speak to, debut tonight against the Pacers in Indiana. Nets have a three-game losing skid heading into tonight. Let's start with the simple stuff. What do you expect from a guy who some of his teammates hadn't seen him in three months before he came back and, and started working with the Stay Ready crew and, and, and trying to get himself back into shape for games? My answer about an hour ago before this question would have been different, but I just had a chance to watch Kyrie work out uh, in pregame warmups, and he looks as sharp as ever. I mean, obviously, there's still some rust on his jump shot. Some of those shots weren't falling, but, I mean, just his movement with the ball, the crossover combinations, the, the three-pointers falling, um, but I'm expecting Kyrie to be Kyrie. That's what his teammates have said. We've asked Every teammate that would talk to us what Kyrie has looked like in practice, and they've all said the same thing. Kai looks just like Kai. And uh, if that's what the Nets are getting, even if Kyrie's been away from the game for three-some-odd months, I mean, that's a win, even if it's on the road. So, Christian, I'm usually, you know, Peter positive. And on this one, I'm, I'm Norman negative. I, I'm just trying to figure out how it's possible – that we can sit on the one hand and talk about how continuity matters for NBA teams for having guys play together and then look at a player that's only going to play a handful of away games as the great hope. Tell me where what I'm missing here on how he can actually make such a dramatic impact when his availability is so limited. Let's see, 26 points, six assists, five rebounds, 50% shooting from the field, 40% shooting from three, 90% shooting from downtown, plus shot making. Kyrie's a superstar, you know, and, and whether you have him at home, whether you have him on the road, and I know it's an it's a iffy situation that the Nets are trying to work through right now. You take someone of that man's caliber any way you can get him. You know, for the Nets, it, it's not what they envisioned, right? I don't think anyone envisioned a world where we'd be getting tested randomly for, for viruses a couple of years ago. I don't think anyone saw this coming, especially when uh, KD and Kyrie signed in Brooklyn. But this is coming closer to the vision that they had for this team. I mean, Joe Harris is a couple of weeks from returning. You're seeing Patty Mills play incredible basketball. And Steve Nash said earlier today, you know, Kyrie's return is sort of going to push everyone back into their natural roles, right? And everyone's going to feel more at ease, especially when you look at this offense that's really been playing around two superstars but was built to support three. So I can't wait to see how they come out tonight and, and what type of Kyrie Irving we get. When you have a player like that, you, you take him back w- without a question, and, and you just understand that his superstar power is, is what you build on. I, I understand Kyrie's greatness. My question is everybody else. Are you telling me that they're all going to be able to play one style with him on the road and then completely adjust who they are as a team when they're at home? Yeah, that's, that's basically what you've got it right. That's what this team is going to have to do when it's in a regular situation. Uh, but it's in a regular season. 
I mean, the Nets have to play a Pacers team right now, but eight players in the health and safety protocols, right? I mean, everyone is dealing with this type of roster uncertainty, and now this is the type of uncertainty that actually improves your team. The, the team that the Nets have had is, has been by far the best team in the East. You're adding a superstar just on the road. You know, I know it's going to be – it's going to take a period of adjustment. Everybody, everybody's uh, admitted that, but that's an adjustment that you want to make, right? You want to adjust to welcoming in your third superstar because if you ask me, you know, with just two superstars, the Nets are, are a tough team to beat, but you look at the record. They've lost to the Bucks, They've lost to the Heat. They've lost to the Warriors, the Suns. they lost to the Bulls two times. Adding Kyrie Irving back to this team, even if it's just on the road, just dramatically increases your chances against those teams. And then on top of that, it also gives Kevin Durant and James Harden an opportunity to get some rest. I mean, these are guys who had their minutes just piling up and piling up at the start of the season. And now you've got blowout potential on the road where you might only need to play these guys three quarters and they can all have the fourth off. So it gives them more options and it gives them a lot more firepower and it gives them a lot more legitimacy if you ask me. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Christian Winfield, New York Daily News Nets reporter, ahead of tonight's debut, season debut for Kyrie Irving. He joins the Nets against the Pacers in Indiana. Um, he will be able to play, uh, assuming everything goes well tonight, he's healthy, etc. 12 of the Nets' next 18 games. Um, that means, you know, they will get in a rhythm with him. They will be able to see how, how they play when, when he's available. Do you think that any part of this decision to let him play is, is not just about minutes for those other stars, but also that potentially getting him back into the fold might be able to help convince him to get the vaccine and be available in the postseason, including for those home games? Sure. You, you know, one thing that everyone said about Kyrie since he came back and rejoined the team is just how happy and excited around his, his teammates again. I mean, when you think about this, for the last three months, Barry Irvin has not been able to play with professional basketball players. All the pros are off playing basketball for the team. Most of the pros are vaccinated, right? Most of the college athletes are playing in college right now. Barry's been basically backpacking across North New Jersey, trying to find pickup games, playing in middle school and college basketball gyms. And he said to be very, very intentional with his approach to these pickup games because they're so few and far between. He didn't know exactly what he was going to get out of them. And now he's back in where he's playing at the highest level with all the pros. I mean, in his first practice back from coming in, he said, this is where I belong. All right, so I, I think there is something. I do think that maybe when faced with the reality of, okay, this is a lot of fun on the road, but I want to come home, who knows? Maybe that plant-based vaccine sounds a lot better now. You know, like, we, we don't know. But at the end of the day, we know that, that Kyrie is his own person. He's going to make up his own mind no matter what anybody else says. So this could go either way. Uh, I have no idea which way it's going to go. I'm just along for the ride. Thanks for the insight. Enjoy the game tonight. Thanks, for Thanks so much for having me. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, hanging out with you on SiriusXM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and all of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We're going to go directly to the Goodyear Hotline for a team uh, to get some insight, I should say, on a team that is in a must-win situation this weekend to make the playoffs. And I'm not talking about my beloved Raiders. No, in fact, it's the other end of that matchup in some ways. It's the team that my Raiders beat last weekend. I'm still gloating, Sarah. I'm just on cloud nine. This is going to get worse all week. Mike Wells, ESPN Colts reporter, joins us. Mike, always appreciate your time, my friend. Uh, I'm I'm still stunned uh, sitting here as a Raiders fan, as probably the most attempted optimistic person in the world. I'm stunned 
at what the Raiders did to the Colts on Sunday, and now it's put the Colts in this situation. What went wrong for Indianapolis to be where they are right now? Well, first of all, Fitz, I thought the coach's rule was – I thought it was a 24-hour rule that you can you know, enjoy the moment and then you got to move forward. I didn't major in math oh, in college, mm. but we're, we're at 70-plus hours, and you're still embracing that moment, which, by the way, was a heck of a performance by Derek Carr in that offense against the Colts' defense. So, how, I mean, what's your rule until you decide I mean, to stop look, talking about that victory? Never. The, the, never, this ever. This is the thing. Ever, Everybody ever. says, act like you've been there before. I haven't seen a he playoff hasn't. win since 2002, and I've only seen one playoff <laughs> game since then. So, I'm not acting like any. I'm going to act a fool all week, Mike. Like, this is this is close as I'm getting to the playoffs. I'm going to act like an idiot until somebody tells me I have to stop. So, you know, that that's my plan. Uh, hey, listen, hey, I, I, don't, I don't fault you for that. But, no, that, that was an impressive performance by the Raiders to come in. The Colts knew what was on the line. It was win and get into the playoffs. All they had to do was beat the Raiders, who have been through, you know, countless things the entire season. And they go in to win. And now the Colts are facing a Jacksonville team. And you look at it on paper, you're like, okay, the Jaguar, most of the Jaguars players, they're already thinking about where they're going on vacation, what time their plane departs Jacksonville International Airport on Monday morning. But the reality is the Jaguars have owned the Indianapolis Colts down in Jacksonville. It's like, it's like with the uh, Pedro Martinez against the Yankees. The Colts haven't won down in Jacksonville since 2014 when that guy named Andrew Luck was still in the prime of his NFL career. That's how long it's been since the, the, the Colts have won down there. So why it should be an easy victory for the Colts, they know firsthand anything can happen when they go down there. Yeah, it might be that all those uh, angry Jags fans who are dressed like clowns for Shad Khan are actually ending up being representative of what the Colts pull off if they can't beat the 2-14 and 14 Jags to punch their ticket to the playoffs. Uh, you're right, this has been a terrible spot for them to play. Haven't won there since 2014. Is there anything about that pattern of losses, obviously different personnel in the years since, is there any through line that you could see as to why they have such little success down there? No, I mean, there, there really isn't. First of all, and then secondly, uh, Sarah, it was good to officially meet you uh, in person instead of going nice with the voice. Unfortunately, yeah. it, it, it was during Jeff's uh, view, Jeff Dickerson's viewing earlier this week, but it was good to officially meet you. Uh, no, there's really been no pattern. I mean, in 2018, the Colts have Andrew Luck. They were on a you know eight, nine-game winning streak, and they scored six points against the Jaguars. And it's not like the Jaguars were – this was not 2017 when the Jacksonville got to the AFC Championship game. There was a game the Colts were winning by 14 points in the second quarter and ended up losing by 20-plus points and by completely falling apart in the second half. So there's no set trend with it. And it's not like the Jaguars sit there and have, um, you know, Calais Campbell and Jalen Ramsey on that defense still. For some odd reason, it's just one of those things where, you know, uh, how, how teams just struggle at times against certain opponents. For some reason, the Jaguars have had the Colts' numbers. And you're, you're right. They're, you know, you, you, you're thinking about, Jacksonville and, you know, having the uh, the bulky, you know, clown sign, you know, Twitter emojis and all that type of stuff. But the Colts aren't thinking that way. They know this is not a gimme game because all the success they've had in the middle part of the season has come to a complete end if they go down there and get in the fetal position and fall apart against the Jaguars like they've done in the past. We're talking to ESPN Colts reporter Mike Wells on Spain and Fitz there. Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Mike, Carson Wentz just, I mean, he's bad. So how much belief can the organization have that they can get him fixed? Hey, hey, hey tell us how you really feel, Fitz. How you really feel? <laughs> um, no, but I, I got to tell you this. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say he's bad, 
But there's question marks about Carson Wentz. If you simply look at his stats, he's on pace for a career low in interceptions, second most touchdown passes in his career. But if the Colts, let's assume the Colts win going into the playoffs, and you got to ask what is, you know, one of the biggest question marks for Indianapolis in the postseason, it's Carson Wentz. Can he win a game? Outside of what he did in the fourth quarter on Christmas night against the Arizona Cardinals, Carson Wentz has not won a game for the Colts, in my opinion. It's been the Jonathan Taylor, Darius Leonard show for Indianapolis. That's why they're in position to get into the postseason. Carson Wentz hasn't been that guy. He has not been the guy of 2017 pre-ACL and come in and carry the Colts. The best thing that's happened to Carson Wentz is that Frank Wright has told him to kind of to try to you know temper his game down and hand the ball off to Jonathan Taylor. That's the only thing that Carson Wentz has done well this season. He has not dominated probably the way people thought he would do coming here in Indianapolis so far this season. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to ESPN Colts reporter Mike Wells on the Goodyear Hotline. Mike, what does this team need to do? Let's say beyond just obviously the Jags. They need to go out and just play their game and they'll be fine. It should be against the Jaguars. But if they actually want to have any success in the postseason, what's the key beyond just Jonathan Taylor going off? It's, 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 it's Carson Wentz, and they got to continue to force turnovers. They're second in the NFL in, in – um, and for enforcing them this season, um, and I, I don't mean I don't mean that like I'm jumping on the Fitz bandwagon of harping on Carson Wentz, but we've seen over and over again, with the exception when Trent Dofer was quarterback in the Baltimore Ravens, that your quarterback has to be able to make plays for you. The 49ers got to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago; they were beating the Chiefs, and then in the fourth quarter, Patrick Mahomes took over. Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't do anything. So, as good as Jonathan Taylor is, at some point, an opponent is going to slow down Jonathan Taylor. And Carson Wentz is going to have to win with his arm. So he's, he is the key for any type of success that the Colts have in the postseason. Because the reality is, I believe the AFC is wide open. You saw the Kansas City winning the Cincinnati and Joe Burrow and company put on a show and beat them. Who knows what Derrick Henry is going to look like if he does come back in the postseason for the Titans, who are in the driver's seat to have their number one overall seed in the AFC and have home field advantage. It is a wide open AFC playoff field, in my opinion. So it's there for anybody's taking. For the Colts, Carson Wentz has got to grab hold of it and take the lead of it. We're talking to Mike Wells, ESPN Colts reporter. So for all of that conversation about the failures they've had in Jacksonville and the possibilities of the playoffs, how does this Colts team win on Sunday? Get the ball to Jonathan Taylor. He, I mean, he threw, he ran for almost 300 yards against them in the final week of the season last year and forced, forced Trevor Lawrence in the interceptions. I mean, the Jaguars going to score 10 points against the Patriots on, um, on Sunday Trevor Lawrence throws three interceptions, and you can tell they have checked out. I mean, I don't blame them for checking out. I would have checked out the moment my head coach was hanging out in the barn since, you know, in Columbus after losing on the road. I would have checked out then and said, this guy's not serious, so why should I be serious? The Jaguars don't want to be there. They want to be done. So I would be – I think everybody would be shocked if the Jaguars put up any kind of fight against the Colts. I don't think they've scored more than 20 points uh, with the exception of maybe two times this season. So scoring is a challenge for them. The coach just simply need to, you know, run the ball, don't get anybody injured, and they'll be fine. You guys can follow him on Twitter. As always, he gets you all the Colts information that you could possibly need. Mike, we appreciate your time. Enjoy the last week of the season. Hopefully it results in the playoffs to the Colts as long as it doesn't mean anything negative for my beloved Raiders. That's Actually, this hey, week, hey, I'm hey, just going to hey. be honest, Mike. I'm rooting against you. I'm rooting against the Colts this week because it makes my Sunday night easier. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> Listen, Fitz, I know I know you're going to have to take a nap Sunday afternoon so you can stay up and watch 
the uh, Raiders take on the Chargers. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm going I'm going with Justin Herbert and the Chargers. I like that Woo! offense against the Raiders. No offense, no offense to you, bitch. I still, I still <laughs> love you, though, brother. Yeah, well, you know, it's mutual, and he's not wrong. I am going to need wow. a nap in the afternoon. It's going to be a late night. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you. ESPN Colts reporter Mike Wells brought <laughs> to you by Goodyear. With you for every mile on the road to greatness. Goodyear, more driven. Speaking of my beloved Raiders, there is a wild playoff scenario out there that everybody keeps talking about, but there's one thing that everyone's missed about it. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. You think I'm bad this week. I mean, this is just on the chance that the Raiders could make the playoffs. I mean, if the football gods actually shine down on me, I don't know how I'll handle next week. I might be in face paint all week. Spain and Fitz Our on ESPN is Radio, so the ESPN app, Sirius we XM so Channel pathetic. 80. Is, is that bad to be in face paint? I mean, the two of us were just pathetic. The, the sad things. I have to look at my terrible bears and be like, Justin Fields, like, could be the guy. Like, we were just sad. Uh, yeah. Sad, sad sack. Both Somebody asked me the other day, they're like, hey, do you think the Raiders could actually make any noise in the playoffs? I'm like, who cares? <laughs> I just, just want to see an extra game. Uh, you can be part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed where no nipples are involved. ESPN Nation is presented <laughs> by Dr. Pepper. College football bowl season is here. Fans are hyped to return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the ones fan deserves. Now, Sarah, there has been a lot of conversation about a wild scenario that has – uh, the Jags, who, keep in mind, are 14-point underdogs going into this game. Uh, but, as we just talked to ESPN Colts reporter Mike Wells, we were reminded that uh, right now uh, we can all remember that the Colts haven't won in Jacksonville in several years. So right. if the Jags pull off the impossible and they beat the Colts, then a tie between the Raiders and the Chargers would put both teams in the playoffs. I, I want to be clear, like, I'm good with that. Like, if that's where we are, I'll be sitting in a sports bar, Mm. ironically, in Indianapolis, watching the game on Sunday night. And if it's a situation where both teams are taking a knee the whole time and they're both going to the playoffs, I'm good with that. But there's one other little nugget that everybody's forgetting, and that's the Ravens-Steelers game. Because if the Ravens beat the Steelers and the Jags beat the Colts, the Raiders are in the playoffs no matter what on Sunday night. And I'm just going to get tanked while I watch the game I mean there'll be nothing on the line for me we keep forgetting there's a scenario where I get to watch a playoff game even if the Raiders don't play on Sunday wait so you're gonna get super tanked if there's nothing on the line and super tanked if everything's on the line and super tanked if they win and super tanked if they (laughs) lose like I I think the one thing we know about Sunday is that I'm going to spend per diem for days (laughs) on a bar tab that's what we know uh, yeah, that's your prep for the uh, national championship game that you're working on Monday is to get super sauced on Sunday. Yeah, just um, put, put a bucket so, by the side stage and we'll see how it goes. You are correct. Most people are ignoring it. But that's because we don't want to think about what needs to happen in order to get us there. We want to think about the unique and strange scenario in which the Raiders and Chargers could both qualify for the playoffs if they tie. And whether there would be a call that afternoon after everything came into play where they might call each other. Who would make the call? Who would suggest it first? Would they maybe not do it via phone because they'd be worried about being tracked? Would they just sort of nod at each other at the start of the game? Would it be like, let's play a fake game where nobody gets hurt, we kind of play loose, and at the end we make sure that, you know, we're tied? Would it be, hey, what if we're tied, and at the end you're like, ha-ha, you suckers, and then you just throw a touchdown pass and end their season because they're your division rival? I mean, would you even trust the other team to follow through? Are the Chargers a team that can be trusted? 
I don't think you trust either team, but it feels to me like a, a, an awkward moment. Like if you're, you know, you're just staying at a buddy's house and you accidentally walk into the, 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 the bathroom, think you're going to go to the bathroom and you, you figure, find out they're in the shower and like you just saw them naked. Afterwards, you just, you just look over like this is how guys communicate in that situation. You're like, yeah, we, we yeah, yeah. And that's all the right, other guy right, says. Right. Uh -huh. It's an interesting and you, analogy. Like, that's that all that happens there. is Let's Staley looks at Bisaccia and they go, so, uh, uh, yeah? yeah? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's it. Other. That means it's on. That means it's on. Tebow, Tebow, Neil, and then that's the sign. <laughs> uh, let's put it up on the Spain and Fitz uh, uh, Twitter feed, the Dr Pepper Twitter feed. Uh, would you be okay with your team agreeing with the division rival to tie if it meant that they made the postseason? We'll ask the folks about that. I think we should also find out what the secret sign would be. Like, what's the secret we're playing for the playoff side? They did say smartly on the NFL Network today too. I don't think teams would play for a tie. Where I do think it would be interesting is. Man, if it gets you're to going overtime, for one or two or something like, like that, right? Do you go for two to try to get the win? Do you just go for the tie, knowing that you're safe? I mean, I think you have to if you know it means a place, a place in the postseason. Yeah, but if you're sitting there and the, if it for some reason goes to overtime, that's when you're like, hey guys, let's just take a knee, a knee, and, and, right. and run this thing out. You know that that's that's where I could see that happening. One thing I I think we've also going to have our eye on is not just the playoffs, but. Uh, the postseason awards and things have gotten hairy when it comes to Aaron Rodgers in the MVP conversation because one MVP voter has made it clear that he does not intend to vote for Aaron Rodgers not because of anything on the field but because of everything we've seen off the field and that got a strong response from Aaron Rodgers who responded uh, by saying this I think he's a bum I think he's an absolute bum he doesn't know me I don't know who he is no one knew who he was probably until yesterday's comments but to say he had his mind made up in the summertime, in the offseason, that, you know, I had zero chance of winning the VP, in my opinion, should exclude future votes. You know, his problem isn't with me being a bad guy or the biggest jerk in the league. His problem is I'm not vaccinated. You know, so if he wants to go on a crusade and collude and come up with an, an extra letter to put on the award just for this season, and make it the most valuable vaccinated player, then he should do that. All right, so this is Habarkish, who comes out of Chicago, who actually sent a, uh, a tweet very recently with a story link saying that he really messed up in, in this case, an open apology for his comments. He thinks he violated the expectations of the AP and his ability as a voter, and puts undue pressure on them to comment or disagree, agree with him, and has had a whole bunch of radio people now sort of make their own statements about what comes into play when you're voting, what you should uh, consider. And, and he feels like a lot of those people um, are challenging the quality of the voting process and are, are invalidating votes and, and, and all of this stuff. And he's set everybody up for this conversation because of openly talking about it. I think he's right. I don't think he should have said any of these things. And honestly, I don't blame Aaron Rodgers for being angry. I think anytime you take personal shots at someone, calling them the biggest jerk in the league, um, they're probably going to respond in kind, calling you a bum. I don't think either of them should have handled this this way. I do think Aaron Rodgers reached a little. He said he made his mind up in the summertime in the offseason that he had zero chance of winning. That's not exactly what Hubbs said. He said that what happened in the offseason, Aaron Rodgers' behaviors with his team in the offseason, did affect how he feels about him. And then said later, after what went down with lying about the vaccination and, you know, potentially missing more time and affecting his team with the whole, you know, all, all the circus that came around that uh, affected his opinion. 
I don't think you should do that for MVP, Fitz. I think there's a, there's Hall of Fame votes that are supposed to be affected by off the field or not. In this case, I think we all recognize it's about most valuable player. And nothing of great consequence ended up resulting from Rodgers being out. He didn't have to miss an exorbitant amount of time. And as much as there was a distraction, it didn't slow this team down. Um, so I, I do think they're both kind of there's not a, there's not a winner here. Yeah, I think you're right about all of that. And, you know, it's unfortunate. I, I can only say this repeatedly when, when Aaron Rodgers claps back. I know he's frustrated, but the number of times of late he's in his frustration remarked about how people don't have followings. And I would just remind everybody, especially as was mentioned earlier, like we lost a colleague in Jeff Dickerson that has spent his much of his work uh, you know, re- reporting on the Bears. Sure, JD doesn't have the didn't have the the platform that Aaron Rodgers had, but that doesn't make his work any less important. And when you're talking about people that put their lives into this uh, into this profession, maybe they don't have the platform that Aaron Rodgers has or Pat McAfee has, but that doesn't mean that every time they speak that they should be suddenly silenced because of it. I, I think that's right. a, a true fatal flaw in the way that Aaron Rodgers has battled some of his criticism over the course of the last couple of times he's been on McAfee. And, you know, I I certainly don't have the following Aaron Rodgers has. Does that mean I'm not allowed to have an opinion about Aaron Rodgers? I don't think so. Uh, But to your end, I think the the conversation of of voting on him is difficult. Like, I think every voter is going to have to make their own decision on how much they think anything about Aaron Rodgers played into who this team was on the field. And if the answer is it didn't, then it shouldn't play into the vote. And if the answer is it did, then I can understand it being something that, that is sort of the straw that breaks the camel's back if somebody sees it as a close vote or a tie. It's interesting you brought up J.D. because part of my anger, which I didn't talk about at the time because J.D. was not public about his battle with cancer, part of my anger with Aaron Rodgers was that he was walking into press rooms unmasked, unvaccinated, and putting at risk people like J.D. who were battling serious illnesses. And that was what stood out to me was how selfish that was in his lie. Um, and I think you're right about what you said about Hub, particularly as someone who works the sidelines for Westwood One and has most certainly interviewed Aaron Rodgers to say nobody knows him and no one cares is an unnecessary shot that's unrelated to the topic. Yeah, it, it's this isn't going to go anywhere. Aaron will continue to use his platform to speak as, as he wants, but people will continue to speak as they want in response to it. Coming up, an NFC team will need the arm of their first-round pick to take them to the postseason. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Let's get to some Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. It's an exciting week for the NFL. There's so many different playoff scenarios still on the line. There's so many different ways for teams to qualify. And one of the teams that come into this weekend still looking at opportunities to continue their season into the postseason would be the San Francisco 49ers. We're joined now by Nick Wagner, ESPN 49ers reporter on the Goodyear Hotline. Thanks for the time, Nick. Appreciate you. Trying to figure out what the best case scenario is right now for the 49ers with their quarterback situation, Jimmy G back practicing in a limited capacity. What do you think it looks like by the time we get to the weekend for them at quarterback? Yeah, Jason, it's really interesting because if you'd asked me that question yesterday, I would have said probably a less than 10% chance it's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo, and mainly because he hadn't thrown a football since December 23rd until yesterday. But today he, he acknowledged that he did throw yesterday, 
And he said he did. Uh, he used some expletives, actually, to say how much it hurt to throw the football. But <laughs> he apparently was good enough to practice on a limited basis today. And then from what we were able to see, which, mind you, was just individual drills and warm-ups, he was throwing the ball pretty good. And it was coming out of his hand like it usually does pretty accurately and uh, with, with a decent amount of velocity. So I think there's a better chance than I maybe expected. I think maybe a lot of others expected for him to be available on Sunday. I'm not ready to say that he's going to be the guy and, and Trey Lance took most of the reps with the first team today, but um, this is going to be one that goes all the way down to the weekend. And I, I do think there's a realistic chance that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to play this week. Unlike last. Week. Yeah. Shanahan said, hasn't made a decision yet. It'll probably be made right before the game starts. And he's not going to tell you when he does make the decision. Uh, is there a push from the fans, from the city, from the media around there to, to, to give it a go with Garoppolo, or is everyone happy with Lance closing the season? Yeah, it's it's a great question, Sarah, because I, I think that if you look at the if you just look at the, the landscape of this whole thing, that the Niners have kind of been back and forth all year and they never really told anybody what the plan was, right? Like there was a lot of assumptions that maybe they wanted to follow the two thousand seventeen Chiefs model where it was Garoppolo in the Alex Smith role and Lance in the Mahomes role and just learning and then you know, a lot of people were saying, well, maybe Lance is going to start week one and all the trade speculation around Garoppolo. I think ultimately it played out in a way that was similar to what the Chiefs did, but the one X factor, which is part of the reason they traded up for Lance in the first place, is Jimmy Garoppolo's injury history. And that is what, is what has led to Trey Lance starting. I think people were very encouraged. I know people in the Niners building were very encouraged by what they saw from Trey Lance last week against Houston. I also think they realized that given the quality of the opponent, not a great team in Houston. Um, it was kind of a good situation for him to have to step in, even in a must-win game. But this week is a different animal because this is a division rival, and yes, it's a team that the 49ers have beaten five straight times, but it's also a team that is leading the NFC West division and, and a team that has something to play for because the, the, the Rams have a chance to wrap up the division and be as high as, as a number two seed going into the playoffs. So there's still a lot on the line there. So I, I think ultimately – they would prefer if they had their druthers, it's Garoppolo, but it's just going to be a question of there's not, there's no chance he's going to be hundred percent. Right. But what percentage can he get to that they're comfortable with that would make him be the starter? There's such different quarterbacks in the style that they play. How does it impact the offense? Even going through the week, trying to figure out how to prepare with two different quarterbacks. Yeah, I think, I think what you saw last week and one of the reasons Fitz, that the, the Niners were pleased with what they saw from Trey Lance is, the progress that he had made as a pocket passer from that start he made against the, the Cardinals in week five to what he did on Sunday, where he wasn't taking off running at the first sign of trouble. Even when he was breaking contain and getting outside on the perimeter, he was keeping his eyes down the field and trying to make throws and things like that, that showed growth from him. So I, I think what you, what you have is the game plan obviously is not going to be exactly the same as it would be for, for Jimmy Garoppolo, but there's a lot of similar concepts. And then some of the additional things that you have for Lance, you can kind of keep them in your back pocket if Garoppolo starts. And if Garoppolo struggles, maybe you have a quick hook. If the thumb gets banged up or, or re-injured or whatever, then you have, you have that with Lance ready to go. And maybe you just sprinkle Lance in to give the Rams a different look that they haven't seen. So there's a lot of different ways they can look at it. I know Von Miller said today that the Rams are preparing for both guys. And I think that's probably the right approach because I wouldn't be at all surprised that even if Garoppolo starts, if Lance gets some opportunities. 
Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio ahead of week 18 in the NFL. Nick Wagner, ESPN 49ers reporter with us here. What's the vibe in the city about this team? Because there were really high expectations coming into the season. Then it was really a pretty pathetic showing for a while. They're really disappointing. <laughs> and here we are still in the mix. So, uh, you know, what what is sort of the vibe? And, and if they do lose and they don't end up making the postseason, how big of a deal would that be? I think it would be a huge disappointment, but I also would add this caveat that if they lose and they don't make the playoffs and let's say Trey Lance starts and plays pretty good, but it's just not quite enough to get the win, I think that would actually allay some of that you know, devastation of not making the playoffs, at least amongst the fan base, because I think there's a segment of people here that certainly wanted to see Trey Lance start from day one and use this season as the season to get him ready, knowing that this team probably wasn't going to win the Super Bowl even with Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, the Niners clearly approached it differently because they believe they did have a chance to win the Super Bowl with a healthy Jimmy Garoppolo. And I would argue that that's probably a long shot, but obviously this is a weird year. Who's really that good in the NFL? And (laughs) if you get healthy and you, you know, you have a couple things bounce your way and some COVID things don't, don't pop up, uh, you know, maybe you can make a run. So I, I think obviously the expectation here in San Francisco is always make the playoffs every year. That's what it was coming into the season. So it would be a disappointment if they don't make it. But I think maybe the optics that surround it, and particularly at quarterback, would make a difference on how it's viewed amongst the fan base. If they don't make a, if they don't make the playoffs, has Kyle Shanahan done a good enough job at this point? Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's in any danger. I, I, and you know, I, I always, I never say never because the NFL is crazy. We all know that anything can happen. But um, I, I think ultimately Kyle Shanahan's tenure with the 49ers and John Lynch's too is going to be determined by what happens when Trey Lance is the starting quarterback and how that goes. And that's just kind of the, the nature of drafting a guy as highly as they did and particularly one that they traded up for to get. So, yeah, I, I think it would be a disappointment, certainly, if they, if they don't make the playoffs, and that would be only once in, in five years that he did. But I, I think next year would be the year where the heat gets turned up a little bit, particularly once Lance takes over, because that is going to be the thing that ultimately defines his time with this team. Do you think that's fair? Uh, do you think that's fair? Do you think he's getting by on a whole lot of uh, reputation, considering his overall record as, as, the, as a Niners coach is 32 and 40? Yeah, I think it's. I think that's a fair question. I, I say, like, it, it's funny because if you ask after year one, you say, well, the Niners were a stud down to the studs rebuild, right? So you understood why they were bad that year. Year two, you expected them to be a little bit better, but Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt and missed the whole season. And then they went to the Super Bowl in year three. So if you look at it individually, right, you can make or, you can make the case right. for understanding why he gets past it. But we all know that this is a big picture business, right? So it is, 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 is what he has done over the course of his career good enough? So I think it's a fair question. I do personally think that he's still a good coach, and I still think that they are in a situation where they need to at least see what he can do with Trey Lance, certainly. But I also think that next year is definitely more the year where that he gets turned up a little bit and, and you've got to start performing and, and getting playoffs because the injury excuses and all those things, yes, I understand them to a certain extent, but at some point, you as personnel evaluators, and that's another part of Kyle Shanahan's job, is he's got a lot of say in who they're bringing in personnel-wise. If you're constantly investing in guys who are getting hurt and have injury histories, that's the risky run, and that's on you. And that's why this year I don't give them the injury excuse because, you know, last year they had all these injuries, and then they brought all those guys back and put them in prominent positions. So I don't think you can get away with that again this year. And I think Kyle Shanahan would be one of the first ones to admit that all. 38 and 42, by the way, is the updated count. So stay out of my mentions, people. Sorry, I read the internet. (laughs) Nick, we appreciate your time, my friend. Happy New Year. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope it's a great weekend for you. You got it, guys. Take care.
That's ESPN 49ers reporter Nick Wagner with some straight talk, straight talk wireless, no contract, no compromise. I don't really care if the 49ers win. I just love it when our guys that come on get the chance to keep, you know, reporting on football, which means playoffs are fun. But you're, mm-hmm. you make a great point, Sarah, and I think one that as we get to the offseason, we'll have plenty of time to break down is what what is real for Kyle Shanahan and what is reputation? Because if those two things do not align, at some point the 49ers organizationally are going to have to ask themselves some difficult questions. Speaking of difficult questions, I, I've been looking all year saying, what if we could get an all-L.A. Super Bowl between the Rams and the Chargers in a stadium in L.A.? Well, what if I told you, through no fault of either of the teams involved, even if that happened, they may not be on their home field? We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. And sometimes simple things become very difficult and the people impacted by them seem confused. That seems to be what's happening right now for Novak Djokovic, who tried to go to Australia, uh, thought that he was going to be able to get in, get an exemption and put himself uh, into the Australian Open. That did not work out. The most recent uh, updates are that he's been transported to a quarantine hotel in Carlton, where he arrived a short time ago. He'll depart on a flight later tonight. He is being deported. He can reapply for a visa, but that appears increasingly unlikely as he's been denied entry into Australia because he's not vaccinated. And Australia doesn't allow anyone to come in that isn't vaccinated. Sarah, in some ways, this seems like what did we expect to me? Like I'm sitting here looking at it saying, what did Djokovic expect? Did he just think that he's so popular and so good at what he does that an entire nation would bend the rules for him? Well, it sounded like yes, because it feels like there's two factions, and that's the real key here. There's the folks who are related to tennis, um, who have offered up a medical exemption, which is up to doctors. Um, He is one of, I believe they said, five people. They claim that it was anonymously done, that they received exemption requests from multiple people. All were anonymous. A handful or so uh, were granted and that they did not know that he was one of them. That all sounds very suspicious to me. Mm-hmm. But what's then come out from a politician in, in the Victoria state that the federal government uh, has and the state government have different approval statuses. So the visa approval that he requires to be in the country uh, is a matter for the federal government. It doesn't matter what doctors or a tennis association has decided. And so there are differing reports right now, Fitz. There is an allegation that potentially part of the visa application was actually erroneous. I don't know if that means intentionally so. He and his team intended to mislead or if it was a mistake on their part in terms of how they filled it out or if what happened was you know, something that was approved by the tennis folks and then it got to the federal government and they said, this isn't good enough. We don't agree with this exemption being good enough to allow us to make different rules for you. In the end, what it shows, thank goodness, is somebody putting their foot down during a worldwide pandemic that has cost the lives of millions. I understand people are so sick of hearing about this, but I want to remind you that regardless of what you see on your TikToks or on your news channels that you want to believe is is all the truth that's out there, there are overflowing hospitals everywhere. Chicago is one of them. I just went to my PT yesterday. 
And he said his doctor friends that are on that side of the of the hospital are going home in tears every night. There are no beds. People are waiting hours for treatment at COVID or otherwise. And that's happening all over the world. And so the fact that Australia put its foot down and said, we can't have our citizens stuck in their houses for two years, unable to leave, forcing vaccinations, and then just say, well, he's good at tennis, so he's cool. Uh, and I was really heartened to see that they actually put their foot down here. Well, and you're not the only one. Tony Kornheiser had strong statements on Pardon the Interruption today. This is a little bit of what he had to say about Djokovic. He has been laughing at the Australian people for letting him in. He has been a public anti-vaxxer. He has not ever disclosed what the nature of his medical exemption is. Rod Laver, of all people, Rod Laver said... You've got to tell people what this is about, or this thing could get ugly. Rod Laver, the most important tennis player in the history of tennis. Novak Djokovic is a haughty fellow. He is a dismissive fellow. And as you say, he thought he was going to get away with this, and they'd have to let him in because he would set the record there. I didn't like this from any angle that this thing came from. Australia had the most severe and longest lockdown of any country. And the Australians looked at this and they said, we're not letting this guy waltz in here to play us? tennis. Yeah. And, and my, meanwhile, we're in quarantine. And I'm, I read that a doubles player had said, this, is, this smacks of just catering to a famous guy because if I asked for this exemption, I would not get one. Now, I'll be the first to admit when it comes to some of this stuff, Sarah, I'm, I'm weird. And this, I think, I've spent so much of my life uh, being told where to go, when to go, and how to do it. And that's, that's just sort of what my life was in music. Like, you're told when to be at the bus, and the bus takes you where you're going to go. And if it changes, it changes. You have no say in everything. The, the amount of times that throughout the course of the last couple of years, because of the way I'm wired, I just take my head down and say, okay, I'm doing whatever I'm told to do every step of the way. That's sort of in my blood with some of this. What is maddening to me is that somebody would think that because they're great at something, they would be held to a completely different standard than the rest of a country. That part, I just can't wrap my head. Maybe because I am so in the bubble of like, look, I work for Disney. And as a result, I, I'm going to do what Disney tells me I have to do so that I can have my job and, and do what I do for a living. Above and beyond everything else, like uh, nobody's ever really heard me give personal statements on any of this because I do what I'm told. I just can't imagine from a mindset getting on a plane and saying, you know what? I'm great at tennis. Therefore, you will let me in, even though I'm not doing the one thing you're making everybody else in your country do. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Well, I mean, it's unclear whether I, I imagine when he got on that flight and he was going, he believed that he had acquired the exemption that was required. That doesn't mean that it still isn't unbelievably haughty and selfish to say I'm allowed to go do this thing in this country, even if all the people who live there are not. Um, it is a little naive of you. I understand your point. Yeah, you shouldn't ever believe that you're above a country. I think Johnny Depp is also the one who brought dogs into Australia and then they almost got put down or stole, taken from or whatever. Same thing. You don't get to make up new rules for yourself because you're rich or famous or good at something. There is an interesting twist to this that could be true. This is a source speaking to Tennis Australia who said potentially instead of what got him the original exemption, which was a lot of people saying this is the world's number one, that's why they're allowing him. It could be the opposite in terms of why the visa is getting blocked, that the feds might have to address the fact that several tennis players are already in the country with the same exemption granted to him. Now, again, that might be because his visa doesn't match up with the exemption that was 
like the, the visa did not permit medical exemptions for being unvaccinated, that it needed to have the same reason on the visa as it did in terms of the reason for the exemption, right? The details might be the thing that gets the sticking point here. But the idea that maybe Australia just didn't want the publicity of a known anti-vaxxer getting in on an exemption, whereas nobody cares about the, the hundredth ranked person who also used an exemption mm. would be an interesting twist where one side would be trying to give him better quality of treatment and the other would say ah 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 it's actually your very fame and success that makes us want to reject you oh that is that is an interesting twist through all of it. i just want equal standards to everybody through all of this that's just like my altruistic very well, i want peace brain. and love and yeah. uh, uh, for all the children of the I world i want my husband that's... to actually be a billionaire <laughs> well yes, you and me both <laughs> not just on the internet i'm telling you if i'm not marrying you unless i'm getting half a half a billion dollars Sarah. that's the way it goes spain and fitz well, i guess Sarah, we're gonna stay fitz. unmarried then no uh, matter what the internet says you know as disappointed as you are that I'm not a half a billionaire, that's as disappointed as L.A. Chargers and Rams fans might be, uh, speaking of COVID and, and the, the contingencies that it brings up, as there's now a contingency plan that could take the Super Bowl to Houston. Are you in mm. for this? Like, are you all no. in for Okay. No, I'm planning on going to L.A., a place that I used to live where I have lots of friends, and it'd be fun and warm and nice. And I've already been to Texas for a Super Bowl before. I wanted to stay in L.A., but I understand that some of these contingency plans are required. In fact, throughout the last two years, what have we asked for of all of our leagues, Fitz? Fluidity and flexibility to not make such strict plans or statements that they can't adjust when things change. And boy, have we seen in the last month how much things can change with Omicron. So I do not blame them in the slightest for having a plan. I just really hope they don't have to use it. Yeah, I, I'm with you on all of that. I think it's good to have a plan, and it's not surprising that you know it would be Jerry and Dallas that, that somehow benefit from getting right. that Super Bowl. They're always ready. To them. In Texas, Whatever it does like to Rose take Bowl. that to happen. Coming up, a Brooklyn guard's going off, and it's not who you think. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. If we told you that somebody in tonight's Nets Pacers game from Brooklyn would have 20 points in the first quarter in just six minutes played. You probably think Kyrie Irving's have a hell of a first game this season. But no, Lance Stevenson, in his first NBA action since the 2018-19 season, is going off. This is officially the Lance Stevenson game, and we're here for it. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. I beg of you to just search Lance Stevenson's name on Twitter and see what pops up. Because above everything else, the reactions from his teammates on the sidelines, we're getting quality air guitar. We're getting dudes holding each other back. It is an incredible visual display of enthusiasm and excitement over Lance Stevenson going off. It feels like that's one of the great things about the NBA this year. We're getting random names we haven't heard mm -hmm. in a minute coming back and then having their moment. Like, But frankly, most haven't I, been as exciting as this. It's been like, oh, he hit his first shot, but like, yeah, he probably shouldn't be in the league anymore. This time you're like, what's happening? I mean, but it, it's... For me, I'm watching it saying I love every ounce of this level of joy coming out on the court. Like, mm -hmm. when you got guys that haven't been... Uh, impactful in the league or in the league at all in some cases coming back and, and doing their thing. It just puts such a different spin on the joy of the NBA for guys. I, I, it's fun to watch this and for Lance to be 9 of 11 from the yeah. field, 4 or yeah. 5 from 3, like 
You're talking about efficiency and domination? I'm just loving every second of this thing. Uh, Yeah, 24 points for Lance Stevenson right now off the bench. Spectacular. Leading all scorers for the Pacers. Kevin Durant pacing the way for the Nets with 20. Kyrie's got eight so far. He's three of seven from the field. Hasn't taken one from deep, two of two from the free throw line. He's a minus nine, um, but everybody is a, is a minus on on the Nets. Uh, they are trailing 68-54 as Lance Stevenson is powering the Pacers. Um, it is superstar. a fun story. Can we call him Superstar Stevenson for the rest <laughs> right. of the day? Right. Uh, you know, I, I, first of all, Lance Stevenson uh, – just briefly pause and remember, you know, the moments on the court that stand out to you, including, you know, the blowing into LeBron's ear and things like that. Like for this to be the guy who gets the call back and he's the first guy in the history of the league to score 20 points off the bench in the first quarter. Like he's doing unfathomable things in this return. He's stealing the limelight from Kyrie, which by the way, we were talking about Kyrie earlier. We were talking about this game and his return and how complicated it will get for the Nets to have him in and then out to potentially, you know, not have him in the postseason for home games or if they're playing the Raptors or the Knicks. Um, There's a bigger story here too, to think about with Kyrie. And that's, how important it is that he did come back for this team in any capacity because of the lost years and time with a franchise that remade itself in his image and with his uh, picks in mind, him bringing and recruiting Kevin Durant and all of this. And Kirk Goldsberry was uh, talking about this on the Hoop Collective podcast, that there's a lot at stake for him, despite his legacy and his name as one of the best being already sort of sullied by the flat earth stuff and the vaccination. In terms of actual basketball, there's stuff at stake here too. Kyrie hasn't played since June. He needs to get in shape. He needs to get familiar with these guys. In theory, these regular season games are going to let him do that. But obviously, the uncertainty is the other big story here, Brian. Since acquiring Kyrie in 2019, the Nets have played 194 games. Irving has played 83 of those. That's 43%. And here we go, extending that sort of era of inconsistency into this season. And we're now more than halfway through his four-year deal with Brooklyn. And I think the legacy right now is that inconsistency. That's why there's so much at stake for this guy this year. If they if they, he comes in and plays a few road games, blah, 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 and they win the title, the Kyrie Irving era in Brooklyn is a massive success. If he fails or misses games or whatever, people are going to start to look at that four-year deal uh, and, and look at it almost as a, as a debacle. Yeah, Fitz, I mean, don't you think there is this expectation that if this team doesn't win a title during the KD and Kyrie era, that the whole thing, and Harden, I should say, that the whole thing is a failure? Absolutely. And in some senses, it's like the Clippers conversation we had when they went all in. And at least when the Clippers went all in, you could look at it and say, okay, there's so many other teams in the West that are equally competitive. Maybe you can walk your way back. But but you also had to have a sense of, if not now, then when for the Clippers as a team, for the Clippers as a brand, uh, for the you know the Clippers and their ability to sort of take hold. And I look at the Nets the same way. This was the great opportunity for Brooklyn to, for once, overshadow the Knicks, for the Brooklyn Nets to become sort of the brand and the team that everybody could embrace out of New York and to really cement themselves for another generation and fandom and, and accomplishment, all of this right there for them, for the taking. And it certainly may still happen. We have no idea how this is going to play out this year. But right now, I would say that the pressure only 
continually mounts on Brooklyn as they try to figure out how to be the representation of themselves that we thought because they didn't pay all this money and acquire three-star players like this to essentially be a, a pretty good team that doesn't win a title. Yeah, it's Spain and Fitz, by the way, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. I think one little bit of bonus for Kyrie is in the end if they win it's because of his recruiting and it won't have to be because of his play that's not to say that he isn't a great player and couldn't return to that quality it's just if he's injured and in and out a lot it won't be looked upon as negatively because of the fact that this this rebirth this new era of the big three in Brooklyn is because of him and his ability to get these guys to come um I do think it is fascinating though that they will be and they are sort of because of the Island of Misfit Toys vibe of their stars, um, a pretty hated success if they are one, right? Um, a lot of people are not fans. Nick Friedel, our buddy, who was just uh, working the Warriors beat, kind of described uh, what someone said to him, the difference from going to the Warriors to the Nets is you were covering the Steph show and now you're covering the Bleep show. Um, and that's true. Uh, the access to the players is different. The kind of players is different. Imagine going from every day trying to get a quote from Steph about how things are going, and instead you're talking to Kyrie or KD or even Harden for that matter. Uh, I can't. It, but And the thing of it is, if you're going to assemble, and I, I don't mean this on a personal level, I mean this on a caricature level. If you're going to assemble a team of ultimate villains, they better be really good. Like, that's mm-hmm. the only way and that it works. And healthy enough to be yeah, out and, there. And you got to be, if, they're gonna, if the bad guys are going to reign supreme then they better be the best bad guys like every action hero movie every pro wrestling uh, storyline they're all built on this the the super villain comes out and actually does destruction well what if you put all of these villains together and they just turn out to be pretty yeah. good like that's just that's not a win for anybody involved right right for them to just be hovering uh, in the middle of the east make the playoffs but not go far enough is just kind of like meh you, you gotta you gotta be great and hated um speaking of the Warriors, by the way Uh, Clay Thompson coming back to help out this team and the enthusiasm over his return, uh, bigger for a lot of people, the meaning behind his return, bigger for a lot of people, because first of all, he'll be able to play in all the games when he comes back, one would hope. Um, Well, it's a crazy concept. Uh, But also because after a thousand days, he's coming back to a team that is very different with him. And I think there is an argument to be made that the Nets can be more successful without Kyrie than the Warriors maybe can long-term, and especially in the postseason without Clay. So it's a big deal to get him back in there. Yeah, and I, I think also there's just so much rooting interest in it. You know, like this is the opposite. This is the good guy coming back, right? And so right. It, it just has that feel of, oh, my gosh, when you're watching Steph and you watch somebody that enjoys playing the way he plays and you watch with, with the, the fandom that so many people have for Golden State and then you realize, man, They've been this good, and now they're about to get Clay back. Like I think a lot of people are looking at that like the opposite of the villains. This is your hero storyline, and, man, it's still a huge win for the NBA if we end up with the villains becoming dominant, the heroes becoming dominant. We end up with Golden State taking on Brooklyn in the final. Yeah. Oh, gosh, the storyline's there. The the, de- oh, God, the yeah. devil and the angel. Also, to your point, yeah, we know how much basketball means to Clay. And on the other hand, there were a lot of arguments during Kyrie's absence that he doesn't love basketball that much, that it's not that important to him. I don't know if that's true or fair, but that doesn't mean it, it doesn't stop anyone from saying it, which a lot of people have said throughout Kyrie's tenure over the last couple of years, whether that was in the bubble and sitting out for COVID, whether that was, um, you know, during the, the flat earth and the other activism that he's done or whether it's now. So really interesting um, to kind of see the, 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 the way both of 
them will return and and how kind of opposing their storylines are, but both to great teams that are near the top of their conferences, which makes the NBA even more interesting. Uh, we'll get to Zion another time. I, I do want to sometime talk about how weird it is that Zion Williamson has been rehabbing in Portland while still technically being supervised by the medical staff at the Pelicans. Not Ooh. sure why he's going elsewhere. I'm not sure why it's taken so long. I'm not sure why we haven't seen him in a long time. All of these are questions that maybe we'll get a Pelicans guest coming up soon. That's very strange to me. Kind of have forgotten a bit about Zion, but Portland? Okay. Uh, coming up, we do have to tell you what one very passionate fan base is planning for this weekend. Also, pay off the polls. Can you trust your rival to tie you? It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Let's talk about the Jags. Uh, they are not gruntled. The fans are disgruntled, and for good reason. The team was terrible, the coach was a joke, and now the owner is feeling a lot of heat as Shad Khan is being met with what they're calling a hashtag clownout, K-H-L-O-W-N, out at this final game of the season. Of course, the Colts have a lot on the line as they're traveling to Jacksonville, but meeting them in the crowd will be a whole bunch of fans wearing clown attire. That is the plan. Many have already changed their Twitter avatars to a clown with a mustache that looks like Shad Khan's a handlebar mustache. Uh, they are angry that he is retaining GM Trent Balky. They even have a hashtag fire Balk. Um, and they uh, they are planning to show up at the game and show physically and visually their frustration to the point that Trevor Lawrence was asked about it today and actually kind of fumbled his way through saying he gets it. Uh, he doesn't know if he personally would wear clown attire. No, he don't think so. But he does understand how disappointed everybody is. Uh, Fitz, is this the answer when you're frustrated with your team? No, it doesn't. I mean, I get it. Fans want to make a statement. The funny thing is, you're showing up and you're wearing clown gear. You think you're embarrassing them, but you're still lying in their pockets. Like, you're, mm -hmm. unless you don't spend any money while you're there on absolutely anything, Fair. you're still giving them cash. And I'm presuming that these are all season ticket holders that already paid for the ticket, so they're not buying an extra ticket. Otherwise, that's even more absurdity when it comes to making a statement. That's what I continually tell everybody as you look at teams. Like, if you really want to make a statement to tell your owner that you do not accept the result, then stop spending a single dollar on anything that that team uh, has, whether it's merchandise, whether it's going to the stadium, whether it's stuff in the stadium, when watching the TV broadcast. Make sure that the ratings plummet. Make sure that there's no money to be had. That makes a statement. Dressing up like a clown, that's just fun Halloween fun. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I also think it's pretty difficult not to buy at least one beer if you are wearing clown shoes. Listen, as somebody who dresses up a lot, I love costumes. Uh, even I think if I went to a game with a red nose and clown shoes and a wig, I'd probably want a couple thousand beers. Yeah, well, and that's the funny part. Like, what are you going to yell at the person? I'm buying this beer in protest as you buy it <laughs> yeah, and drink exactly. it. Like. I, I, I don't really under like, frankly, if y'all want to hate on me constantly and I still make money out of it, I'm good with that. Like if I got paid for every person that hate tweeted me, I wouldn't care how many people hate tweet me. Right. I mean, it's sort of like when people burn jerseys to get back at a player and you're like, uh, you could have sold that. <laughs> you could have given that like you're not really proving anything other than you've just wasted a hundred bucks. Uh, Colts Jags, by the way, game one of an ESPN radio double header on Sunday. Ooh. Coverage starts at noon Eastern. Uh, Saturday, Sunday, this weekend is chock full of massive games in the NFL as the final playoff spots will be decided. Uh, obviously Colts with a, with a lot on the line as they take on the Jags and all the clowns down there. 
The Raiders and the Chargers also looking to punch a ticket to the postseason. They will face each other, and there are several opportunities for that game to not end up being the deciding factor for either of those teams in their spot in the playoffs. But there is a chance, if all goes right, and a lot of people are rooting for this chaos, that the Chargers and Raiders could meet with a tie sending both teams to the postseason, which got a lot of people talking, including Rich Eisen, who asked uh, Brandon Staley, the head coach of the Chargers, if he'd be willing to do it. It got a lot of folks talking about, um, you know, whether or not you could trust someone. Could you write it down? Obviously, this would be in violation of a lot of things when it comes to the league. It would be a fixed game, so you couldn't put it down on paper. But a written proof that you agreed to it might be necessary in case someone went against the agreement. Uh, what Fitz is wondering what kind of head nods and handshakes might be used to send the message that we're all here for the tie. Um, we asked you all, and you guys all were a part of Spain and Fitz Nation. You all voted on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Uh, the first poll, there's an odd situation where the Raiders and Chargers could both qualify for the playoffs if they tie this weekend. Would you be okay with your team agreeing to tie a division rival in order to ensure making it and making it healthy? It's an important part of this. You don't put anything on the line if you show up and you sort of half bleep your way through it. 53.2% no. It mm. violates competition. 46.8% like Fitz said, yes, it's the playoffs. Oh, I don't I think, give a damn about I think about the drought that you've experienced is probably part of it, right? No, I don't I, I don't care about competition. I, I care about <laughs> making the playoffs. I want an extra game. Like, I, I want an, an an extra game that, that makes me feel like my team is headed towards the, the at least the upper echelon someday. I, I want playoffs. Not fair I, to the other teams, though, because by happenstance, their schedule didn't allow them to understand what they needed in order to make it. So now that you've decided on this, if the game had happened before, you'd have to play it out someone would have to win and then it would give the other teams a fair shot it really wouldn't be fair to the rest of the competition yeah the tuck rule wasn't fair either ah that didn't, that, here know, we go again fair is where a pig gets, gets a ribbon that. all right that's oh all fair gosh. is it's where a pig gets a ribbon oh. all right so the other question we had on the dr pepper twitter feed a lot of you chiming in on spain and fitz nation there the follow-up would you trust a division rival to keep their word if you agreed to tie in order to both make the postseason 84.3 percent of you said no 15.3 Seven percent of you said yes. At Angry Bears fan Dad Man chimed in on Dr Pepper Twitter feed. Nice try, Jan. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> I also appreciated the the gift that someone sent in on Spain and Fitz Nation uh, at Cruz three zero eight one on the Dr Pepper Twitter feed. Trust no one ever. Uh, definitely spoken by a Raiders fan who knows that nobody would trust that team. So why would you expect anyone else to show up and do it? What they said. My level of dis- like I I don't know how I would how I would not navigate that. No, and I watched a whole game thinking we were just taking a knee and everybody was going to tie, and then suddenly my playoff Ooh, hopes were yeah. dashed. Justin Herbert back in the end zone with one second to go. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't want to talk about that anymore. I hate I'm that trying topic. to think of teams that would be like less trustworthy than the Raiders, uh, the 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 Patriots. Oh God, yeah, yeah, the Patriots, yeah, they cheat their way through it. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.